0: Check out org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hey, folks. I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Ribot, Wayne Krantz, OTiel Burbridge, the Mel Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, You can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com slash moods. To learn more, Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to Patreon.com/slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host alex skolnick i'm probably best known as a professional guitarist i'm also a writer a photographer and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on twitter this podcast will involve music and guitar but it may take us to some unexpected places as well so thank you for joining me and let's do this Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 12, part two of Rodrigo y Gabriela on Moods and Modes. Now, episode 11 was largely built around a conversation that took place during the making of their album 1111. For this episode, the majority of what you'll hear is from a conversation that took place in 2020, a year in which we're all finding new ways to be creative. For Rod and Gab, one of those ways has been a conversation series posted to their Patreon platform. I was honored to be their guest, and this will consist more of them interviewing me. So once again, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Rodrigo y Gabriella.
2: Hello! <laughs>
3: yes, hello, how you doing, Alex?
1: Yay! Oh, good to see you guys.
3: Good to see you. So, first let me explain. Uh, you're going to see uh, that we are talking to someone that is sitting over there, which is you, in a monitor. So don't, okay. mi- don't mind us. I mean, when we talk to you, we're going to probably face uh, the computer here. But the setup is different. We have a camera there. We have different like, uh, setup that you are not able to see.
1: And as we're getting set up, I'm suddenly reminded that throughout the time I've known Rod and Gab, I've often been struck by the dynamics and how each one brings something very different to the project. It's harder to imagine Rod and Gab musically without Gab. And that's with total respect to Rod, who's a great technical soloist, melody writer, arranger. But Gab, as we discussed in episode 11, is like a full band with a right hand, or at least a drummer and percussionist at the same time. Yet, while there's no denying the uniqueness of Gab's musical skills, not to mention the passion, energy, and creativity that she brings to the project, there's also a sense of productivity, organization, and vision. That comes from Rod, someone whom I've often thought if you weren't playing in Rodrigo y Gabriela, he'd be their manager or head of their successful record label. All of which is a long way of saying that as we set up for today's session, it's clear who's calling the shots.
3: Don't mind us looking at you on the monitor. Cool. Okay?
2: So Alex, if I talk here, he sees me?
3: Yeah, there. he sees you here?
1: Yeah, I see you, straight on. Oh, okay. When he talks, just look at I him. I look, but, okay, yeah, look this it.
2: is the first time I understand. <laughs> yeah, yet, no. All he... the other
3: interviews like, Where do I look like? <laughs> but now, the other Alex. thing is, this is, um, the format is like being a different format of what you've been doing. Obviously, it's not live. We map the, the talk, the conversation, five, six uh, questions, but we can go off anytime. Uh, it's is this just really for cool. us to to not to lose uh, uh, sight of where we're going, and uh, it's based uh, basically on what you do and how can we make this conversation something somehow in, uh, that you can inspire some people through your craft and your uh, mastery. Okay.
1: So that's the whole point awesome all right so obviously all that talk about computer monitors and video cameras is the setting up for a visual presentation we at moods and modes on the other hand are a pure audio podcast and proud (laughs) maybe at some point we'll bring in some video component but for now things seem to be working you're also not going to hear the entire Interview because it's close to 90 minutes, which we don't have time for in this episode. However, anybody interested in hearing the entire thing and seeing us conversing on video can do so by visiting Rod and Gab's Patreon page. And before we dive back in, just a quick reminder this is a two part episode. We're on part two, episode 11 just before this, was all about Rod and Gab. So if you haven't heard that episode, you might want to go back and listen, and it'll fill in some gaps. This episode is a little more about me. Now, if you've been listening from the beginning, you know I don't tend to make the episodes about me. Sure, I'll share some stories here and there, but the main focus is usually my guest or the subject or the tribute, whatever it is. So yes, I've certainly shared personal experiences relating to the topic of each episode, and I haven't exactly been shy about expressing opinions, political or otherwise. On the other hand, I have never gone this in-depth about myself on my own podcast, and I cannot think of a better time to do so than episode 12, which marks a dozen episodes, And I can't think of anyone better to do this with than two great friends and musical kindred spirits who happen to be Grammy-winning superstars, Rodrigo and Gabriela. What do you
3: do? I mean, you are Alex Koenig, you know, the gut guitar hero. But uh, what do you do? How can you describe your job?
1: My job? So, you mean in general? like?
3: What
2: do
1: you do? What do I do? Every day I wake up and I say, what do I do? What should I do?
2: Who am I? (laughs) Who am I? Why (laughs) are (laughs) we
1: here? Why are we here? (laughs) The (laughs) big questions. The big
2: questions. To be or
1: not to be? Yeah, I was just thinking about that recently. Because obviously guitar playing is my first career, my first job. I've done that for for many years. But I'm not so connected to it that um it's the only thing. And I think um you know, what's most important to me is to be um to create be creative and create things that inspire me and inspire others. I find that if if I like a piece of work I'm doing, whatever it is, um, then usually other other people like it as well. And I am probably be, uh, best known for a band called Testament that I joined when I was very young that I still play with. But I also play a lot of instrumental music and um, some call it jazz guitar, but you can call it whatever you want. Um, and I work with a lot of great musicians. I've guested. With a lot of great musicians, you guys being a highlight. I also write. I do photography. That's more more of a recent thing. Yeah, it's really to me, it's just about being creative and creating something that uh feels worthwhile and makes hopefully makes a difference. I mean now we're in this very strange time where we're not touring <laughs> suddenly and we're kind of re- I think we're all really forced to re-examine ourselves. Why are we doing this? Why are we creative people? What can we do as creative people? Yes. So that's Alex. a long answer to a short no, question.
2: No, it's great. It's better than our guest talk. But the yeah. uh, first question was, what was the music you listened when you grew up?
1: What was the music that you enjoyed and liked that when you were little kid? When I was a little kid i I always loved um, the Beatles, and I didn't know how good they were, and I didn't know that I would still like them so many years later. I still liked them as much as I ever did. but I think um the Beatles music it, it sort of taps into some emotions. And it also sends messages, positive messages, without being too complicated, right? So you can be a a little kid and you can understand a song like, Hey Jude, (laughs) maybe you don't know what it is. You don't know who Jude is, but you hear those melodies, na-na-na-na-na-na, you know, and it's so simple. Yellow Submarine. (laughs) It's so simple. It could almost be a children's song. Blackbird. And then, you know, some of the songs like Blackbird is a good example. As you get older, you realize, oh, there's this deeper meaning behind that song. So it, it really was the Beatles. I, I was told that I used to sing along with Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison, just because you can be a child and understand that. Here comes the sun. Oh. <laughs> Here comes I could those are words I could relate to. I could relate to what was happening when the sun would come out. So um that was you know before I can even remember. I was told I was singing Beatles songs. But then I also started liking uh early rock and roll. That it turns out the Beatles liked too and there were you know little Richard who is no longer with us as of uh, last month, Chuck Berry, who was with us until pretty recently. And, um, yeah, I the artists like that. I used to hear music like that on television and um, at sports games and things like that. And then when I was 10 years old, Kiss. Oh, and that,
2: that was one that, when did you actually discover metal music because that was my next question
1: Before I answer, just a quick thought, some things I didn't elaborate on in my previous answer. The reason I was hearing so much early rock and roll on television was that this was the 1970s and the 50s was having a resurgence. They say that the cultures and trends of a decade uh, repeat themselves every 20 years or so. And that was definitely the case in the 70s where you heard 50s music on television all the time. You had Happy Days, which had Rock Around the Clock as its theme song before they came up with their own theme song. Happy Days was practically a, a spinoff of uh, George Lucas's first breakthrough film, American Graffiti, which was all about the 50s. Uh, by 1977, Elvis had passed away. His music was everywhere. Sean Na, the 50s cover band that had played Woodstock, now had a primetime variety show. And seeing all this stuff on television, it was also the first time I was exposed to these ads for compilation albums. I'm sure some of you remember them. Operators are standing by, not available in stores. Elvis, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And the cool thing was they would play a little clip of each song. So it was a great way to sample these artists. And when I started playing guitar, these were the songs I wanted to learn along with Kiss and The Beatles. And speaking of the Beatles, I had mentioned the song Blackbird by Paul McCartney and having a later epiphany as to its meaning. At one point, I realized it was written during the height of the turmoil of the 60s. It is about the civil rights movement, and it is a message to the African-American community. We should acknowledge that it's Black History Month. Next time you hear the song, listen to the lyrics and think about that, folks. It's not just about a little bird. Yeah, well, I think um, KISS, they were like superheroes to me. It was almost like having Batman and Superman in the same band. <laughs> and, I, <you> know, <laughs> and when you're that age, it just, it, it has such an impact. I didn't know that there was any connection to hard rock and heavy metal. Obviously, they had been influenced by Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. And they sort of had this, you know, they were known, I guess they were known more as hard rock. But if you talk to most people that are known for metal, like almost everybody is a a KISS fan. It doesn't matter. You know, Tom Morello gave the great speech when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He described what it's like to be a, a KISS fan as a kid and just sort of be it's this very small club because you know it wasn't you the popular kids didn't like kiss it was really really for the the outcasts with tom morello describing that that was my experience exactly and i actually met him last year we were on the same festival and i told him yo as much as i love your music and raging against the machine that kiss speech is <laughs> one of my favorite tom morello moments So you guys, what I just said there will make so much more sense if I could just play you a little bit of that Tom Morello speech that I related to so much. Here's a bit of Tom inducting KISS into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014.
4: Tonight is the night that KISS enters the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Growing up, KISS was my favorite band and it was not always easy being a KISS fan. Just as KISS were relentlessly persecuted by critics, their fans were relentlessly persecuted by the self-appointed arbiters of taste in middle schools and high schools across America. (laughs) Arguments and even fist fights were not uncommon. I recall as a 15-year-old telling one bully, you can kiss my KISS loving ass, because KISS was never a critics band, KISS was a people's band. KISS is the band that made me and millions of others love rock and roll. Their influence is everywhere, from Metallica to Lady Gaga. KISS have inspired thousands of artists of diverse genres, some of whom may be on a Hall of Fame trajectory themselves. They've been a formative influence on members of Tool, Pearl Jam, Allison in Chains, Slipknot, Garth Brooks, Pantera, Foo Fighters, Motley Crue, Lenny Kravitz, White Zombie, Soundgarden, Nine Inch Nails, and Rage Against the Machines, to name just a few.
1: Right there, they cut to Dave Grohl's face, as you mentioned. It's Foo Fighters, and then the members of KISS, and everybody's loving it. That speech is like if a fiery Baptist minister was a KISS fan. I suggest you watch the whole thing. It's on YouTube. Tom Morello inducting KISS into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. And here's me with Rod and Gab again talking further about KISS. And, um, yeah, so Kiss, KISS really started, and that's what made me want to learn guitar, and because there was the connection to hard rock and heavy metal, I think it led to other hard rock. You know, it led to the Scorpions. It led to black Sabbath. It led to Ozzy Osbourne. Um, it led to Van Halen. I didn't even know at the time that there was this big connection with kiss and Van Halen, you know, Gene Simmons had produced the first Van Halen demo and helped get them their record deal that, you know, they, Go way back, there's you can actually hear that online. You can hear these early Van Halen demos that were produced by Gene Simmons. All right, as long as we're on the subject, we didn't get a chance to listen to this during our tribute episodes to Eddie Van Halen, but the Van Halen demo from when they were an unsigned band is very interesting. Say what you will about Gene Simmons, and plenty has been said. But Gene was the first to believe in Van Halen, enough to fly the band to New York and put him in a recording studio, all on his own dime. Here's a quick snippet of Van Halen's demo, as produced by Gene Simmons of KISS. So Kiss. So even though Van Halen ended up being one of my favorites musically, especially Eddie, it was directly connected to Kiss. Yes. So then that was my like my first five years of playing. Yeah, it was going from a like Kiss, Beatles, and 50s rock to Van Halen and Ozzy. Right. And then by this time. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area and there are local concerts and I discovered you know, kid, kids I knew were going to these local concerts and some of the bands were bands like Exodus there were visiting bands so Slayer came through before anybody knew who they were uh, Megadeth I think did their very first show in Berkeley, California that's where I'm from I wasn't There, I wasn't yet going to shows, but I I heard about it and then obviously heard about them. And then there was just so much of that type of music happening that I heard um, one of these support bands that had opened for Slayer and Exodus and... It was a band that needed a guitar player they were called Legacy and I ended up joining that band and the, the rest is history we changed our name to Testament but at the time we were, we were Legacy and then by the time I finished high school we already had a tour booked with Anthrax <laughs> and Overkill and it was it just all happened really fast
3: yes so this is um, in the 80s um, mid '80s, I guess, right? Um,
1: yeah, this is around '86, '87.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> so, were you ever into any glam bands like uh, Motley Crue and
1: Cinderella,
3: Cinderella, and Crocus, and all those bands? <clears throat>
1: um, no. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop there. <laughs> Well, in the Bay Area, we we hated those exactly. bands, and we um we hated the image of those bands. and I I I hated the idea of like wearing hairspray and yeah yeah you know, makeup <coughs> makeup and scarves yeah so we were the opposite of that yeah exactly and and we we were also Northern California, so bands like that were south mo- I mean. Yeah, I mean, some of them came from the East Coast, like Cinderella, but it was really L.A. and Southern California was known for that. Yeah, there was Warrant, there was Poison, there was, you know, so many of these bands. But I, uh, secretly, um, I liked a couple of the guitar players a lot. Yes. Um, George Lynch, George Lynch of Dokken. And Dawkins was getting played on the radio a lot, so I uh, I liked I liked his guitar, but some of the riffs were pretty heavy. I mean, i I've, I've met him many times. We know each other now, and um, I think part of the tension between them was they he wanted to be heavier. He actually wanted to do more aggressive riffs and more guitar, but you know there was this pressure to be super mainstream and um and Warren Demartini of Rat I mean they weren't they weren't visible for very long you know they had a few years where they were very well known but still like his his playing on those hits you know like back for more and round and round it was really great playing There were, there were always a few glam guys, Yeah, I, I could forgive them because they, they were really good players and that's what I cared most about.
2: Yes, that, that's what we all, at the end of the day, all the ones that play guitar, we always focus on those those things rather than all the makeup or whatever. But let us tell yes. us our story about Kiss because I, I wasn't a big fan of... Of kiss. I was not never exposed to their music or the records. I was exposed to a comic book that I liked There were all the characters were kiss. But then yeah. Kiss came to Mexico City uh, when I think Pantera was getting really popular because they got out mm, the cow The, was the, from the hell. Cow was from Hell So they were yeah. the opening band, the support band for Kiss at the big Arena in Mexico City, so we bought tickets wow. to see Pantera, and you can see huh? like <laughs> all the all the Kiss fans were they stay outside when Pantera was playing, like all, all of oh, the yeah. kids fans, <laughs> and then all of the <laughs> other kids, cause we were the very young ones. Yeah. We just we just saw Pantera. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. We, we saw Kiss. It was, a bit. it was entertaining, though.
1: Yeah. It was really cool. That's cool. Well, that's another example. Because Pantera were big Kiss fans. Dimebag loved Kiss. He had Ace tattooed. That's another really good example of how. To those of us that were into KISS, a lot of us ended up playing metal.
3: Exactly.
2: Wow, that's incredible. Going yeah. back to the music, like in our own, and I think in our own experience, uh, thrash metal music is, uh, is very extreme in the sense of it's very, it's not very easy to the ear, it's distorted, it's aggressive, but also has a lot of, uh, arpeggio and all the, the the ballads, the metal ballads are they're, they're totally melodic and they're very sweet. <laughs> and then they contrast with with all of that. And that's what we mirrored. Rodrigo we loved at that time when we used to listen to all those bands and Testament, particularly had a a, a lot of that guitar. That's why we became such a Good fans of yours, your music and your style, because it, you crafted all of that music. And it, it was metal, and everything was heavy, it was powerful, but also was musical. And then I think The Souls of Black, the way it starts, Souls of, Souls of Black, which has like acoustic intro with uh, with just crazy stuff. And I remember me and we used to play that beat said why they didn't make a full a full uh, song song out of this this sound it sounded so original and incredible and all the other solos you know and we were so excited uh, about that and inspired to play like this
1: this is so interesting to hear what she's referring to is the short acoustic intro that kicks off a 1990 album Called souls of black by testament i was 21 years old and i remember thinking the same thing gab is saying that should have been a whole song if it were up to me it would have been i don't want to get into the politics of the band but testament is a band i joined not one i formed and i make suggestions they don't always become final decisions nonetheless i was grateful to have that short little piece where I got to play some of my uh, Al Demiola-influenced acoustic licks. And it's really interesting to hear it now because it almost sounds like a blueprint for Rod and Gap. Check it out. And right here, it becomes more like the rest of the album. Yeah! I gotta admit, it sounds good. It's been a long time since I've heard that.
2: Yeah, so, and when I remember when we first met in New York, and I was nervous because it was always Alex. We knew. When you left me- Testament, we knew on those guitar ma- uh, guitar magazines, we didn't have any money to buy them. You have to go to this shop, boutique in Mexico City, which has chains all over Mexico City. They have co- coffee shop and they have all this section with magazine. It's called Soundworks. Oh, cool. So yeah. you can get in and we just used to see all the guitar magazines like all the metal magazines and all of that we we couldn't afford them but we just and then we read a note like oh now Alex is doing jazz and he has a trio and we were like oh of course you can you can feel that through the all the previous testament albums, you know so Oh that's so cool. Yeah so that that's our story about Alex. (laughs) And (laughs) now we got the opportunity to play with you in Live, but also you guests on our album 1111.
1: And, of course, their album, 11.11, was a key focus of episode 11, and the meeting she's referring to in New York was the first time we met, and I sat in with them for the very first time at Webster Hall. We did listen to some of that in episode 11, but I promised to play more, so I'm going to play some more of that for you in a moment after a brief bit of housekeeping First, welcome new listeners. I've heard from a bunch of you online, and it's good to have you on board. And of course, our OG listeners who have been here for all 12 episodes. I cannot believe we're on episode 12. We're we're like for real now. And being part of the Osiris Network has been a very positive development that's clearly helped us reach a lot of new listeners. And having a good team in place has been really helpful for focus and planning with the podcast. We have some really exciting stuff planned for you for future episodes. However, I do not want to give it away. I do want to thank all our Patreon members, as always, and uh, we have a bunch of new patrons, so thank you so much for signing up. And finally, a few episodes back, I mentioned being hooked up by Zoom Audio with these great handheld devices specifically for the podcast, the H8 and the PodTrack P4 I've been using both extensively. And the PodTrack P4 has been a big part of this episode. If you've noticed a difference in quality in the extracurricular clips, music, etc., that has a lot to do with the P4. Um, so thank you, Zoom. And as promised, let's get back to my very first time jamming with Rodrigo e Gabriela. This is my solo as we play Take 5 by Dave Brubeck. Okay, this goes on for quite a while. They were encouraging me just to keep playing. So, I was just listening to the boxes. And this is just a fraction of the whole thing. As I mentioned last time, it went on for about 20 minutes or so. The whole thing can be found on YouTube under the Alex Skolnick Trio channel. Let's just hear the end of this because it gets really fun.
3: Any particular uh, lesson what's the biggest lesson that you've learned um, from your job I mean from being in a band from you know you're a musician that's been there for many years in different uh, circles because now you can play jazz um, uh, venues you can play the rock festivals you can you can guests and in, in our shows and so uh, is there a lesson that you think that okay this is the biggest lesson I've learned and um so i would probably in your
2: job yeah. but also in life like what was the biggest i guess challenge or something that is has marked your your mindset
1: yeah well i i think it's great what that you get you guys have talked about this a lot you know in the time at home you've had these conversations online which is really cool and you you venture into it, and it's it's great to hear. And I think about that stuff all the time. You know, like, what is success? I mean, somebody can be really successful, but not not happy or not connected to what they should be doing. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but <laughs> do you remember this guy, um, what was his name? The guy that had this huge pop song a few years ago, Robin Thicke, is that his name? Uh, blur blurred lines—the song with uh, Emily Ratajkowski—is and yeah,
3: I know the song. But anyway, no.
1: And that was the biggest song of the year, and that was the biggest video of the year, and that was just the the biggest thing. And anyway, that guy—where's that guy now? <laughs> like he's gone. It's like he doesn't even exist. You you can have a moment like that where you, you know just. The whole world is looking at you, and you're just like the the biggest thing there is. And then the next thing you know, you know, he's dealing with lawsuits because um, they say the the song was stolen from Marvin Gaye. That's a whole other story about like copyright and sounding. But anyway, he became embroiled in that controversy, and then there was this other. Anyway, con- anyway, it was just somebody that's almost like a fable, or it reminds me of stories like. Um, you know, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. You know, where yeah, right. Somebody goes from being like just on top of the the king of the world to yes. having nothing and being destitute, and that happens to people when they're they're losing sight of who they are, they're losing sight of uh, what's most important, and having having meaning. And to me, it's all about yeah, what's what is what is important to me, um, and. What do I value? You know, not being caught up in trends, not being caught up in popularity, and just perspective. Perspective is, is really important. And I'm just going to add one thing. I think um, mainstream success, if you're one of those artists that is fortunate enough to come across it on your own terms, that's wonderful. Rod and Gab obviously have, to a certain extent, having been embraced by the Grammys, network television, Hollywood, and other entities. uh, But they could have pursued it more. They could have, at any time, tried to be much bigger, done something like maybe doing a single with J-Lo, which they would never do. They're vegans, and J-Lo wears these fur coats that are basically walking advertisements for animal abuse. Uh, Another artist that really does things um, on his own terms is Jason Isbell. He's somebody I've interacted with online, fabulous guitar player, as well as a country singer who's accepted... By the establishment, yet I get the feeling he'd be doing what he's doing no matter what, even if it was in small venues. And I thought of Robin Thicke in that example because I just remember that one summer where he was just, you know, the most visible artist, artist of the year. And then within a year or two, he'd fallen off his perch and uh, he, he was embroiled in lawsuits and divorce and had just become a walking tabloid scandal.
2: The, the awareness to know that we it, we are already in, uh, talking about the industry and the music industry. Uh, we talked about a uh, status quo or a, or a structure that is already, we were born into it like this way. And I think I can feel more than ever how the, the, the whole music industry really values so much the, the following and the and the economical impacts an artist would have, and that's yes. why the, the, the you can every every moment will be a burst of outcasts musicians creating something entirely new because uh, when you don't fall into the the lines or, or whatever it is that makes you a successful artist in the in the in the music industry eyes what makes you successful is all the followers all the streaming all the millions of likes that you might have and and that's for them what those successful for us musicians is um, is the music and sometimes we can be lost in this in this sense of I don't have the, if you don't have the, so much millions of people following you and all of that thing, you might think, you might go, like, not motivated, you know? And that's why, what, what you said, yeah. it's so important to know what are your values and what are you care for, and then you care shit, you know, <laughs> about the rest.
1: Yes. Yeah. There's also so much you don't have control over, too. Exactly. Yeah. You guys are a really good example of where things worked out and you were able to have a level of visibility and be true to yourselves. And it's, it's great w- when that happens. But no, nobody else can be you. <laughs> Somebody can't look at you and say, oh, I'm going to be just like them. I, you know, you have, have to do something else. And um, there's so much we don't have control over. There's so much that happens by accident. You know, some for so many years, people have looked at you know Jimi Hendrix and just said, "Oh, I want to be like him." But that was an accident. <laughs> that was it was just such an accident. Like he happened to play as a side man for different people, like the Isleys and Little Richard, and somebody saw him that said, "You you need to do your own thing." And he wasn't. He didn't even want to do it. <laughs> and you know. There's a whole movie ab- about this, and yeah. I forget the woman's name, but she was uh, she was British, and she knew the guy who became his manager, and that led to them. Ta- We're gonna take you out of here. We're gonna put you in England. But oh yeah, all the, this totally random stuff. So yes, you you can li- listen to Jimi Hendrix. You can say, okay, I'm Jimi Hendrix is inspiring me to be the best guitar player I'm gonna be. But you can never have that happen because. <laughs> that what happened with him, yeah, it, was, it was an accident. I think what happens to a lot of us is is an accident. Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen switching instruments yeah, when they were kids. That wasn't planned. That just happened. So, it, which brings us back to the process and just letting things happen. And sometimes disappointments actually make sense in the long run. Maybe a gig doesn't work out or... An audition doesn't work, or whatever it is. But you can't let that define you.
2: Absolutely.
3: Yeah, I've read a line, Alex, that you wrote recently. I don't know if it was... um,
4: uh... What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history, that's a lot of music and a lot of stories.
1: I was sitting on stage for the very first time, thinking... I can't quite believe this is happening.
4: Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
3: Uh, something you wrote in Instagram, but that really pretty cool that you cannot be defined, but by, by the music you play. You know your personality. Oh, yeah. That's, I love the, you know, that quote is so true, you know?
1: That was about self-worth, and I borrowed that from a um, a jazz piano player. I tagged him in the um, post, and he actually wrote to me and thanked me for it. Really? Which is really cool. That's it's, incredible. It's, his name's uh, Kenny Werner, and um, yeah, he's got some great writings, and he did a book called Effortless Mastery, and that was where that, that came from. And yeah, it's not defining yourself by how well you play or how well you think you play. And just sort of separating that and b- being objective.
3: Yes.
2: That's a great piece of advice for anybody, even if you're not a musician, right? Like, That's right. Don't be defined by what you, what you do because doing is not your life. It's not
1: the Oh, exactly. Exactly, I mean yeah i i I could read things by him and others, and it yeah, it doesn't just apply to music, you know, it could apply to any anything, anything creative, say you play some music and and it sounds it sounds terrible, <laughs> well, you know what you do you're recording right? you don't have to keep that, and that's your opportunity to improve upon it and um, make it sound good and then put out the part that sounds good but just because you played something that you think doesn't sound good doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad musician and uh,
2: worthless it's like sometimes we beat ourselves so much with so much bullshit you know to ourselves yeah and so musicians are I remember me and Rod back in the day when we used to play, we started playing as a duo. um, We were very, very tough with ourselves. We were very, very tough and we had to play perfect. And if I made a mistake, I looked at him and he made a mistake. He looked like it was just like this. Horrible. (laughs) So lately we have learned also to be more more kind more understanding and, yeah more yeah. understanding and get to know it's a process like you you get to write something and it doesn't sound as you want it to sound well you tomorrow you'll have the opportunity to to revise it and to make it better and like this and maybe it never is gonna sound better but another new riff or another new line or whatever it is but I think it's important to not not judge so much ourselves, neither being like writing shed music and thinking, you know, oh, it's great. I need to put it out. It needs to be balanced.
1: Balance. What a key word. She's really hitting the proverbial nail on the head there. We're getting into some really in-depth territory that only comes with conversing for quite a while. I know some of the talk segments are a little longer than usual, but it seems like there's too much good stuff not to share. Hopefully, you agree. I think this episode will go over an hour, which is a little unusual for us, but more than worth it in this case. I also want to play some music for you from an album called Planetary Coalition. I'd long planned to do a world music album. I also wanted to do an acoustic album. I decided to combine both projects with the overall goal of eliminating borders, geographical and musical. On each track of the album, I play with a different lineup, from a large ensemble to a duo. Here, it's a trio. All totaled, the Planetary Coalition album has over two dozen musicians from five continents. Naturally, Rodrigo and Gabriela were one of the first ones I thought of, and we figured out a time they'd be in New York with a day off. They were gracious enough to swing by the studio in Queens, where I do a lot of my work, Spin Studios, and it's a composition I wrote with them in mind, named after a beautiful beach in the region where they live, Zihuatanejo. It's called Playa La Ropa, And you'll mostly hear Gab and I at first, but then in the middle, there's this trade-off with uh, Rod and I, and it's a lot of fun. He's on nylon string guitar, I'm on steel string. This album seems to have its own following. I'll meet people sometimes that are familiar with it and aren't as familiar with my other work, but they love this album. And this song in particular is a highlight. Uh, It's definitely a highlight for me, Rodrigo y Gabriela y Alejandro, 2014's Playa La Ropa.
3: Are so many different um, stages of a musician, with, like you that uh, you've been touring for way longer than we are. But we've been training for 20 years now, and uh, you go through different processes. And uh, at some point, Gavin and I we, we lost it because we get caught in all the other things that are related to what you do, but it's not what you know what the source um, that inspired you in the first place was and then um, for example a lot of musicians they really especially nowadays they get caught with the millions of fans that they don't have <laughs> and they miss out the hundred fans that they do have or the thousands you know and because when yes. you lose sight of the hundreds or thousands which in you know today's world you know if you don't have million followers well then pff, you're not doing that great but that's such a massive mistake, you know what I'm saying? You can have a great, great following, loyal following for the rest of your life if you focus and first of all on what you do as a service, as an artist, as a service. Then to focus on the fans that you know they really appreciate what you do. And it's a relation that you give and and, and receive and you know. But if you skip them and you don't care about those ones and you just focus on the ones that you don't have,
1: Then you're in trouble. And I'm jumping in for a moment. What Rod is saying here is so true. And it makes me think of these musical competition shows on TV. Obviously, the big one is American Idol. There's The Voice. America's Got Talent when they have musicians. Uh, Does anybody remember Rockstar Supernova? More importantly, does anybody remember anybody who's appeared on these shows? with the obvious exception of the early American Idol winners, Kelly Clarkson, for example, or Carrie Underwood, for example. These are singers that are pursuing an audience that they don't have, and they're tapping into this Ryan Seacrest-created formula, and they should be building fans. They should be creating their own individual identity, but they are chasing this dream and it is a dream, and it's uh, very metaphoric for the music industry as a whole. Yeah, and you see that often. All the time. You see people like ch- chasing fans that yep. they don't have. Exactly. Okay.
2: But it's um, also because of the, 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 what I said, the, the status quo of the people in the industry. They value so much uh, the, the, the following and the millions of people. And your fans and the people that respect what you do and love what you do, they deserve
3: The your best. attention. Deserve of course. Your
2: attention, your music, and, and everybody. It's not like, uh, oh, that's the key to happiness, because happiness is just like very hard to define, but at least it's a process uh, that you know yeah. th- this is the right. This is the right thing to you know, for me, and for, for the rest.
3: The next question, Alex, was about that, but probably you answered already, but what's the best advice? I mean, uh, just to um, close this off, um, you know, we ask all the people that we've been just uh, interviewing, because they, they are masters to different, you know, crafts and, and uh, athletes and you know, chefs and... So, what's your best advice for you know a young musician now that the music industry has changed so much and keep changes every day, changing every day? What would be the best advice for for a young guy that wants to start?
1: Yo, know, it's so hard to say because it's changing constantly. Even um, you know, ten years ago, when we were working on your record, you know, if I was asked that question, the answer would probably be different then it would have been 10 years before that. <laughs> so there's just constant change. I mean, I think, um, I think the answer has to do with the change itself. You know, it's an old expression. The, you know, the one thing you can count on is, is change. The only thing that doesn't change is <laughs> change itself. So, uh, yeah, I, so I think you, you have to be ready for that. And I, I, I think also just being open being open to different ideas different being open to different ideas about yourself it's especially when you're young and you're finding yourself you you may go through drastic changes and that's okay just to bring up somebody we were talking about before we were you guys brought up pantera right have you ever seen pictures of pantera like before yes Cowboys of
3: course yeah, they <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> i mean that, that is not, and at that time they were they were into that that they were proud they had scarves and they had uh wild colors and i like that the band that they the band they became is like unrecognizable you know it doesn't always happen with a, a full band like that But that's an example. I mean, everybody has pictures out there where they look at and they're embarrassed. But at the time, they probably thought, you know, yeah, this is me. This is who I am. This is, you know. So I think, uh, you know, yeah, just being open to change and being open to maybe who you are today is is different. You, You have to be open to evolving. I think that's the most important thing.
3: That's awesome, Alex. Thank you very much, Alex. Oh, Alex. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, you guys. We're going to do a, a, an amazing introduction, so you- of course. That uh, when we edit the whole thing, it's mm-hmm. gonna be a great introduction of what uh, who you are and what you do. Uh, we are so. I mean, I've told I've told you this before, but we're so proud of being your, you know, your friends and uh, of your friendship, and thankful for everything you've. Has to inspired me. us through the years, and uh, we still, you're still uh, one of our guitar heroes even till today. So we love you.
2: Oh, I uh, like yes. Love you. you. Time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
1: No, know, it goes both ways. You guys inspire me, and uh, it's so great you guys are doing this. And like, you know, tours have stopped, but you're finding new ways to be creative and contribute and it's and it's very positive and hope hopefully it reaches a lot of people you know it's just such a such a strange crazy time right now with everything that's going on. I think people can really use the uh some positive words and just some creative ways of thinking and getting above the noise out there there's there's so much noise, oh my gosh
3: goodness. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you very much Alex God uh, bless All right, take care guys. yourself so good to see you and um, take be care. careful keep take doing care. what you're doing yeah you too man All right. we love you see you soon hopefully bye, bye. we'll speak bye, soon bye Alex okay. okay. bye bye
1: bye and thus ends part two of our pair of episodes with Rodrigo and Gabriela dare I say some of my favorite moods and modes material yet me gustaría darles las gracias. I would like to say thank you to Rodrigo Sanchez y Gabriela López. Y a todos ustedes oyentes, mucho gracias. Which translates to, to all of you listeners, thank you very much. Moods and Modes is produced by yours truly, Alex Coleman. Presented by Osiris Media. Special thanks to our hands-on team at Osiris. Osiris production by Kirsten Cluthy, Brad Stratton, and Adam Kaplan. With final editing and mixing by Brad Stratton. We kicked off today with a short clip of Meta Evolution by Rodrigo y Gabriela, also the title track of their 2020 Grammy-winning album, Meta Evolution. That followed the intro music by yours truly, This outro music is Conundrum by the Alex Skolnick Trio, by yours truly, with Matt Zabrowski on drums and Nathan Peck on the bass. We hope you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. This helps the show greatly, as does leaving a review. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. And that's it for episode 12. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Take care and be safe. Gizmo, Gizmo just jumped on the piano, hey, 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 Gizmo. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the paper fold. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.